Well, isn't it so much fun to be able to have fun in church? Like, come on. It's awesome. I know. Popcorn, soda, water, like just hanging out, having a good time, celebrating dads. Happy Father's Day uh, to all the dads out there. Just as God and feel his presence and know the whole in a church where we can have a good time, enjoy each other and worship God and feel his presence and know the Holy Spirit's doing significant things. And so I just, uh, I wanted to share a couple of great things that we have coming up. Uh, the first of which is this coming Thursday on June 20th at 7 p.m. at GC Central, which is our multi-purpose office location, we're going to have prayer. Uh, we do this every single month. It's the third Thursday of every month. Super important for us as a church. We're a praying church, and so we want to invite you to come. Uh, and if you've never been before, you will not be asked to pray or, or put on the spot. We just we want to uh, have people come and be comfortable. If you are willing to pray out loud, of course, we do that. Um, but it's a great time just to focus on the Lord. He does amazing things. And then also, I wanted to share a date that's coming up in July, and it's Saturday, July 13th. I need you to save that date. Go ahead and pull out your phone and save that date right now, because that's going to be Grace Church's Saturday Serve Day. Uh, so what we do as a church is we serve in the community. It's part of our vision statement. We want to impact the community. And so what we do is we do all that we can to show the love of Christ to those that need it. So we call that wearing love out. And so we want to show love to our community. And so we have right now, it, it looks like we're going to be somewhere between 8 to 10 projects. And so we need 100% of you to be involved on Saturday Serve Day for July 13th. In fact, go ahead and tell the person next to you, I'm serving Saturday the 13th. Go ahead and tell them. Tell them right now. Tell the person, say, I'm serving Saturday the 13th. Some of you, you're OCD and you're like, I don't know if I can do that. Like, I don't know. Like, it's okay. Like, we're all doing that together. We need every single one of you to be involved. So go ahead, go ahead and, 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 and carve that out on your calendar, your schedule. We have, we have wonderful opportunities where, you know, for people that have you know, handy capabilities, some of us that don't, and then also family opportunities. So if you have kids and you want them to serve with you, we're going to have stuff. It's just going to be across the board, every single one of us, July 13th on that Saturday. And we would love to have you participate. That'd be amazing. And so this is uh, week two of our series called A Story of Ridiculous Faith, and it's the story of Elisha. Uh, Elisha was an incredible, incredible prophet in the Old Testament, and so we've been walking through his story, and we're going to continue that over the next several weeks, uh, and we're going to be in 2 Kings chapter 3. So if you have your, your Bible, you can open up to 2 Kings 3, open up your, your Bible app on your mobile device, uh, or the verses will be on the screen. But what we're doing is we're walking through the story of Elisha for a significant reason, because he was an incredible prophet. He showed a lot of faith, and God did amazing things through him. So what we're doing is I'm praying and believing that God would do that in us. Like, I don't want to just read about it in Scripture. I want to see God do things in our lives where, he, where the, the faith that we see, the, that we read about, comes from the one true living God, and literally that what we will experience that in our lives, in our families, and in our kids, and in our job. And, and so I'm praying and believing for a story of ridiculous faith for you, for your life. Because actually in Hebrews eleven six it says that we need faith. In fact, it says it's impossible for us to please God without faith. And so faith is extremely important for us that, that put our faith in God. Uh, but sometimes in our life, you know, we have faith and we're believing. But sometimes we'll kind of do this thing where we'll say, well, if only 
and we kind of fill in the blank at different times. We'll say, God, if only you, you showed up and, and you, you healed me or you healed my mom. God, if only you showed up and, and you gave me some more money, then, then I would be able to do this. God, if, if only you would answer this particular prayer that I've been praying for, God, if only you would help me get another job. And, and we use that statement, like, if only I had bigger muscles like Pastor Aaron. Like the, I don't know if laughing's good right there or not, um, but, but I think you know what I'm talking about, where we say to God, if only, and we kind of throw, we fill in the blank, and maybe you've been praying that or you've been thinking about particular things, and, and so I'm believing that God would meet us in our area of greatest need, where we would be able to fill in that blank of what we're hoping and believing that God would show up and our faith would be mustered and, and emboldened and, and, and rise and God would show up in incredible ways because he can and he's able. And so as we dive into 2 Kings chapter 3, let me give you a little bit of context so you understand what's going on uh, in this scripture. So what's taking place is the, the nation of Israel at this point in time has been divided. There's the nation of, of Judah, which is the southern kingdom, and then you have the nation of Israel, which is comprised of the, the ten northern tribes. And then obviously you have other, other uh, kingdoms that are around it. So they all have their kings, they have their armies in that region. Uh, and, and, and so what happens is three different kings join up together. They form an alliance. And they want to go after the king of the Moabites. They want to defeat the Moabites and eradicate them, take them over. And so these three kings form an alliance. They set up a plan. But in their plan and in kind of developing things and moving out, things don't work out the way that they thought. Uh, it doesn't turn out. And so they're going, oh, my gosh, what are we going to do? So what happens is they actually try to go in a direction uh, that's a different direction instead of straight at them. So that way, you know, spies and scouts wouldn't see them coming, kind of a sneak attack type deal. But what they, ha what they have to do is they have to go through this, this desert type region. Uh, and so they find themselves traveling for seven days in a desert, in a dry region, and then they run out of water. And so if you're going into battle, you have to be like nourished and, and like healthy and, and ready to go. But the, the, all of the army and, and the people in the, and of, of this kingdom, like they're traveling and now they're just, they're worn out and they're running out of water. So what I'm believing is that in our greatest need, that's when the blessing comes as a result as we depend on God. And so let's take a look. Second Kings chapter three, starting in verse nine. It says, the king of Edom and his troops joined them. And all three armies traveled along a roundabout route through the wilderness or desert area for seven days. But there was no water for the men or their animals. What should we do? The king of Israel cried out. The Lord has brought the three of us here to let the king of Moab defeat us. But King Jehoshaphat of Judah asked, is there no prophet of the Lord with us? If there is, we can ask the Lord what to do through him. One of King Joram's officers replied, Elisha, son of Shaphat, is here. He used to be Elijah's personal assistant. Jehoshaphat said, yes, the Lord speaks through him. So the king of Israel, King Jehoshaphat of Judah, and the king of Edom went to consult with Elisha. 
And so that's a, like these three kings come together. There's no water. What are we going to do? Oh, my gosh. And they go, hey, let's find a prophet. Let's find a man of God. And so what we also need to understand is these three kings are not serving God. Okay, it is very clear that in those nations, in those regions, they are not serving God. In fact, they're experiencing a lot of pagan worship and idolatry. And so these kings are in the nation of Israel, but they are not following after the one true God. And so what happens, though, is when they need him most, all of a sudden now they're crying out to God, right? And so it's like, hey, let's find the prophet, let's find the man of God and ask him to sprinkle some pixie dust to make our situation okay, to make it good because, you know, this is what we want to do. So it's like in this situation, they're only seeking after God. And so the reason they do this, though, is because Elisha has, has begun to become like pretty famous. Uh, he, he has experienced multiple miracles God has used him in incredible ways. Like one of the things, uh, he actually parts the, God allows him to part the water of the Jordan River, uh, that there was some other water that was contaminated, and, and God used Elisha to, to cause the water to be pure, to be drinkable again. And so these guys are going, hey, where's the guy with the water miracles, right? So they're, they're thinking of Elisha, but then there's another one where there, there were some, some young people that were making fun of Elisha because he was bald, so they were like teasing him and mocking him, and Elisha calls out a bear to attack you know these guys and so it's like hey don't tease bald guys like come on like you can't tease bald guys because you never know what's going to happen and so like God is doing amazing miracles through Elisha and so he has a lot of notoriety and and so these kings they go Elisha come help us but the thing that you need to know about Elisha is Elisha is extremely confident in who he is in the Lord and so because of that He's, he's got a little bit of an attitude, right, towards these kings, because like he's, he's like, hey, you guys need to be following after God, and they're not, and so he's got a little bit of an attitude, and if, if we're totally honest, when we look at Scripture, it's possible that he learned a little bit of this attitude and, and kind of confidence through, through the one that he served before, because like, uh, he, he followed after Elijah, Right, we learned about that last week. Elijah came and put a calling on Elisha, and Elisha was his assistant. And so, but the thing that's interesting, there were multiple times when Elijah copped a little bit of an attitude towards some people in the nation of Israel. In fact, one of the stories, you know, if you go back and read it in First Kings, Elijah was confronting the king and the queen. And all of their prophets, because they were worshiping a, a, a god called Baal, false god. And, and so there, there were 450 prophets of Baal at this one point in time. And, and, and so Elijah was all by himself, the one prophet of God, stand, stood up to all of them, was not intimidated at all. And he goes, Let, let's have a little battle, like a battle of the gods type thing. And so let's sacrifice a bull. We'll put it on some wood. And, and, and you go first and you call down fire from your God to consume that sacrifice. And so Elijah, just he let them go first and because he... He really wanted to see what would happen. And so th- these, these prophets are like they're sloshing themselves like, and, and bleeding and, and to worship their pagan God and nothing happens because that God is false, is not real. But Elijah cops a little bit of an attitude and he's like, where's your God? Like, isn't he going to show up? 
Maybe he doesn't hear you. Maybe you should cry out louder so he can hear you. Or maybe your God is on vacation. Like he's sitting there mocking him. And I can just kind of see him in a chair with his feet up going, maybe your God is in the bathroom relieving himself. Like he literally says that. It, it, like, you, you can't make this stuff up. It's kind of crazy. Like, he's giving them an attitude and going, where's your God? You know, maybe he's in the restroom. It's like, like he's making fun of them big time. And so Elisha, you know, kind of grows up underneath that type of man. And so Elisha gets a little bit of fire in, in him as well. And so here's what Elisha says to those three kings. And we, as we continue in verse 13, he says, why are you coming to me? Elisha asked the king of Israel, go to the pagan prophets of your father and mother. But King Joram of Israel said, no, for it was the Lord who called us three kings here, only to be defeated by the king of Moab. And Elisha replied, as surely as the Lord Almighty lives, whom I serve, I wouldn't even bother with you except for my respect for King Jehoshaphat of Judah. And so right there in those verses, he calls them out, calls out their pagan worship, and he's like, the God that I serve. So what he's saying is like, you're not. You're asking me to call out to God for you, but you're not serving God, but I am. But then, right, he, it, it's almost like he goes, but I'll tolerate you. And it's because of King Jehoshaphat and the king of Judah. And so he's like, all right, all right, all right. And so he, here's what happens next in verse 15. He goes, hey, now bring me someone who can play the harp. While the harp was being played, the power of the Lord came upon Elisha. And so basically, I don't know any other way to explain it other than this is get in the mood music. Uh, so Elisha's like, hey, bring in the harpist. And, and the thing that's so, it's kind of funny to me. I find humor in scripture all the time where he doesn't say, he, he doesn't pick a flute, right? A flute is nice and light and easy to carry. Have you ever carried a harp? Like harps are big and heavy and, and there's like lots, they're beautiful, like, you know, and, and amazing. And so he's like, bring this big, giant, huge harp and, and, you know, and so it's a difficult instrument to move. But the thing that's neat is when you look at this and you understand really what's going on, this was not an instantaneous word from God. Elisha wanted to get in God's presence through music. And so for us here at church, like we do the same thing. That's why we start with songs. That's why we sing worship songs. That's why we sing praise songs and praise God and focus on him. Honestly, it's get in the mood music where we're focusing on the Lord, his love and his goodness, his power, worshiping him, and it gets us in his presence. And that's exactly what Elisha's doing. He's like, hey, bring somebody to play the harp. And so he literally, this isn't an instantaneous like, hey, God showed up. This is a a period of time where he's experiencing worship and prayer and and, and, and quietness before the Lord with the music playing in the background. and, and, And we need that. Right? I mean, come on, somebody. We need that in our life every single day where we have constant devotion and worship before the Lord. And it's just us. And so he has the harpist playing and and so then it gets to this point where, you know, God gives an answer. But I want to be very clear, this is not an easy answer. And I'll, I'll explain what I mean by that. So it continues in verse 16. And then he said, this is what the Lord says. This dry valley will be filled with pools of water. You will see neither wind nor rain, says the Lord, but this valley will be filled with water. You will have plenty for yourselves and your cattle and the other animals. And so in these verses, right, it sounds like, oh my gosh, this is so easy. 
Uh, this is not easy at all. In fact, they were in a dry region, region a, a, a desert-type area, and there, there were no pools. Okay, like it says that the pools will be filled with water, and, and another, another word that we can understand is like there's ditches, and so there's no ditches, there's no pools, but all of a sudden, these pools are going to be filled with water, not from rain, but literally God miraculously doing that. And so the reason it's not easy is because these guys all had to dig the ditches. They all had to dig the pools that were in that area that the water would then be contained in. And so I'm sure maybe, just maybe, somebody raised their hand and, and, and said, why doesn't God just make it rain? Right? I mean, that's a legit question. But, I mean, because all these guys now, God is going, no, I'm not just going to make it rain. I'm going to make the water appear. But you've got to dig the ditches. You've got to dig the pools first. And so all these soldiers, people, kings, everybody there, all their animals are there. They're all thirsty. Seven days, no water, desert. And God's like, and I want you to do something when we might die. And then all of a sudden God's like, and I want you to do some manual labor on top of that to dig all these ditches and the pools. And so our greatest need drives us to dependency on God. And then Elisha continues in verse 18. But this is only a simple thing for the Lord. For he will make you victorious over the army of Moab. You will conquer the best of their towns, even the fortified ones. You will cut down all their good trees, stop up their springs, and ruin all their good land with stones. And so Elisha's going, hey, God is mighty. God is powerful. He's amazing. He's going to give you the water. He's going to do it miraculously. You've got to dig the ditch first, and then he's also going to give you the victory that you've been longing for, that you've been desiring, that you've been going after. But first, you need to dig some ditches. That's, that's extremely important for us to get. And so what I want to do is I want to take this, this story and, and, and make it applicable to us today. So what does this mean? This mean that, means that this, this is a faith that works, right? It's a faith that, yes, it's powerful, strong, it works, but there is also an element of action towards this faith where it's effective, but it's also active in needing to be played out. And action is taken because God is the only one that can send the water. But the first point I want to share with you is, but sometimes he just wants us to dig a ditch in response to his word and our first step of faith. In James chapter 2, verse 26, it says, just as the body is dead without breath, so also faith is dead without good works. And so I just think there's times when God wants to see our faith. Like he wants to see it. He wants us to take a step. Because think about this, God does not need them to dig a ditch. He doesn't need them to dig a pool for, to, to hold the water. He doesn't need it. God's the one that made lakes and canals and ponds and, and streams. Like God can do that in an instant. That's easy for him. And he can make the water appear. But he's like, hey, I want you to dig first. And so it's just this faith in action that God wants us to experience. And, you know, one of the, one of the, uh, Bible verses and examples in, in, in the New Testament that is used often in relation to faith is, is just when Peter walks on water. I mean, are you kidding me? Jesus is walking on the water. Peter's in the boat. The storm's coming. And 
Sometimes Peter gets a bad rap because like he, he started to lose his faith a little bit and he started to sink, but homeboy walked on water. Like, come on, somebody. That takes something to be the one that puts your foot out of the boat. And so that's the action. That's so significant. Okay, come on. Like, come on, take the step. I want you to take the step out to where your faith is shown. And so to me, like in my relationship with God, the way I kind of see it, maybe you'll get this too. I just think sometimes God wants us to participate in the miracle where he knows what he can do. He's limitless. He can do whatever he wants. But he wants us to experience that miracle with him. So he wants us to take a step. I mean, even Jesus, multiple times in the, in the miracles that he performed, one guy was, was paralyzed and laying on a mat, and Jesus wants action. Get up. Pick up your mat and walk. Like, both, like all three of those things are action-oriented. He could have just said, you're healed and it's done. But he said, no, 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 there are action steps required. And so we show God our faith, and God shows us his faithfulness because of who he is as our Heavenly Father. And I just think there might be too many people that are waiting around wanting God to do it all. Like, I'll pray and I'll believe. And I'll pray with you, and I want you to believe. But sometimes God is going, all right, what are you going to do? Like, what step are you going to take? And so I'm going to give you a few examples, and, and these might be a little bit raw and, and, just, and, and maybe challenging. But maybe, you know, in your life, like, you, you struggle with drinking, you struggle with alcohol, and, and, it, and it's consuming you in your life, and you've begun to recognize that, and, and it's something that you look to to cope. And, and I would say, like, if, if God is saying, hey, I want to have you break free from that, maybe, just maybe, you go home and you dump it all down the drain. Maybe, just maybe, you do that, and then you don't go, go by anymore, and then the step after that is you get some help, you get some accountability, you get some professional help if you need it to break free of that. And so maybe it's something else. Maybe it's relational where maybe it's something here. Today's Father's Day. Maybe it's your relationship with your dad. You look at your dad and you go, oh, like, are you kidding me? It's hard for me to celebrate this day. Maybe the step of faith for you is to give your dad the forgiveness when he won't even ask for it. He, he maybe doesn't know what he did or how he hurt you, but God is saying, I need you to, to, to remove the bitterness, to, to offer forgiveness because he might not ever apologize for anything he ever did, but you're the one that's harboring resentment. And so God is saying, you take the step. You give forgiveness when it's not even asked for. Maybe it's something related to pornography and the images that you allow yourself to be exposed to, where you go, you know that this is eating you up and it's, it's tearing you up from the inside out and you know you need deliverance. You need to be experience repentance and the power of the Holy Spirit. But then on top of that, you need significant boundaries and accountability. Like there's steps that we've got to take. And, and for those of us that are parents, maybe just maybe you come to church because you want your kids to have like a Christian influence, which is great and it's amazing, but you don't come to church all the time, right? You don't come regularly. You only come infrequently every once in a while. And you're not even reading the scripture at home. You're not even praying with your kids. And I want to challenge you. Like, that's our role as parents, to raise them in a godly home, to have them connected in church, and to be reading and praying at home. I mean, what more could we give our kid than to help them to develop a personal relationship with Christ and have a devotional life that's going to carry them through for their entire life? So we need that. We've got to take steps where there's application. Or maybe you're struggling with depression. 
you're just down and sad and it's constant and, and you want to see God's face. You want to experience him and have him lift this heaviness and I extremely, I, I fully believe that and know that God can do that, no doubt. But then along with that, it's, it's our seeking after him. It's our giving things towards him. It's our allowing him to remove the heaviness, but then also developing some type of support, somebody that we can talk to, to be vulnerable with, to expose the things that we're struggling with, to take that step, to do something, right? I mean, come on, sometimes we've got to do something. You know, I talk to people sometimes, and they'll be like, hey, I want more money. You know what my response is? Start tithing. What? Like, are you kidding me? That doesn't make sense at all. Exactly. It's a story of ridiculous faith. Start digging the ditch first before the water comes. That's exactly how God does it. He wants to see action. I mean, you talk to any single tither that you maybe know and and have experienced before, and I promise you, they will tell you a story of God's miraculous power and provision in their life through finances. I mean, you ask any tither, like they have all seen it. We've seen it and experienced it. And so if you can't take it with you, then it's probably not yours to begin with. But I'm believing that sometimes we've got to take this step And so God, in his scripture, he asks for a portion back. He wants us to dig a ditch. Hey, God, here you go. Thank you so much. And watch him work. I mean, only God can send the water, but sometimes he wants us to dig the ditch first. And the second thing that I want to share with you is that real faith believes big, but is willing to start small. Too many people who call themselves uh, Christians, I would say, are maybe thinking too small. Uh, I, I would say for us as Christians, we should have this big faith where we should believe for things that other people would look at and think is outrageous. I read a story about a God who made water you know, and, and made a man walk on water and brought his son and did all these miracles. And so I, that's the, the God that I know that I have a connection with. And so I just feel like for us as Christians, we shouldn't be thinking so small. We should recognize that we should be dreaming. But then I also would encourage you, if you're a dreamer, if you're a visionary, I, you have to also be willing to start small. Like both those things, we have to have the reality and understanding Because when you look at the context of this scripture where Elisha is, this is the 9th century B.C. How do you dig ditches and pools in the 9th century B.C.? Like it's a shovel. Okay, we're talking about three armies that are all aligned together and their animals. That's a lot of ditches. That's a lot of pools of water. For you and I, we would just call a bulldozer and an excavator and we would be done in half a day, right? And we would be good and we would have our own pond and we, we would be all set, but not in this time. Right? And, and, and in fact, when it talks about these small beginnings and seeing God move, in Zechariah chapter 4, verse 10, he says very clearly, Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. So God's not concerned about the, the smallness, but he wants to see action. I do believe sometimes we need to dream bigger, right? But God is saying, hey, take steps, see action. Because sometimes, I mean, we'll begin and, and we'll, we'll start walking and, and God, we show God our faith and we take these steps and then something happens. You probably have experienced that. There's so many examples. Uh, and in our culture right here we are, 
you know, in, in Central Florida. So Walt Disney is a great example. Uh, Walt Disney experienced multiple failures before Mickey ever came along, right? And had he given up, he, he would have never had that and experienced that. You know, the, here it's Father's Day, and, and we're doing kind of a superhero theme, right? With, and we gave away movie tickets to see Spider-Man. Well, Stan Lee, he was 39 when he wrote his, uh, drew up his first comic. And so then when you begin to, you know, look at Grace Church and in, in in how we are and who we are, literally 10 years ago, we started with three small groups. Now we're over 400 people closing in on 500. And so it's the small beginnings, right, that we've got to take those steps and move forward, and I just, I feel like God wants to see our faith, and so Elisha tells them, hey, the water's going to come, and you're going to have victory, but you need to dig ditches first, and so can you imagine, like the order comes down, start digging, I mean, how would you feel, how would you respond? And so they did. They started digging. And here's what happens in verse 20. The next day, at about the time when the morning sacrifice was offered, water suddenly appeared. It was flowing from the direction of Edom, and soon there was water everywhere. Okay, this isn't like rain type thing. This is literally God sending water to them because they dug the ditches. And so I just, I feel like for, for so many of us, if we have a need, right, maybe even a significant need where, where I give some examples, I say, if only God, like what, what would your need be right now? What are you experiencing? How would you fill in the blank? If I said, gosh, if only God, how would you, how do you want to see God move? And so I, I absolutely am fully aware that many of you, you have some type of significant need, you know, whether it's work-related or the business that you run or your finances or your family or your kids or your grandkids. I believe that our biggest need drives us to dependency. And I know for a fact that God gives us these divine opportunities, but maybe he wants you to start digging. Maybe it's time for you to take some action. And so I would ask you, are you willing to start digging? Right? I mean, I'm your pastor. I love you so much. But some of you, it's time to get the shovel. It's time to start digging ditches. Because you've been hoping and praying and believing, which is great. It's wonderful, amazing. I do the same thing. But sometimes God is going, hey, what, what steps are you going to take? And so I want to challenge you with that. And I hope that you'll find yourself responding. And so one of the things that, that I'm going to ask as a result of this, obviously this is a very faith-driven type message. This is a response. This is an action-oriented message. So in just a moment, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. Uh, in fact, why don't we do that right now? Some of you, as I was giving examples of if only God, and you were thinking of something for yourself where you want to see God move powerfully, how many of you would be willing to put your hand up and say, I need God to move significantly in my life or somebody that I know and need or love or care for. And go ahead and put your hand up. Don't let pride keep your hand down. Like this is not the time to, hold, to keep your hand down. This is a time where we extend our faith, where we're believing to, for God to show up. This is like us raising our hand to reach for the shovel, right? So, so let's do this. Put your hand up and, and be okay with that, right? God sees your hand. He knows who you are. He knows your need before you even express it to him. But where are we at? in our faith, in our belief, you can go ahead and put your hands down. And so what I want to do is in just a moment, we're going to pray. Like, 
You know, it, it says in, in Scripture that wherever two or three are gathered together, that God is in their midst. And so with all of us, with so many of us here, like there is significant faith. I believe there's even more than mustard seed type faith that we can lean on each other and, and have God do something miraculous and amazing through the power of his Holy Spirit. But before I do that, I did want to take a moment and pause because there may be some of you here in the auditorium or listening online where you have not yet put your, you have not yet put your faith in Jesus. Or maybe you had faith in Christ before, but right now just things are hard and, and you've kind of lost your commitment and you need to, to, to re-up. You need to establish that commitment once again. And so for us here at Grace Church, we do believe that Jesus is God's son, that he lived a perfect life, that he was the ultimate sacrifice for us so that we could be forgiven of our sins. And he laid his life down on a cross, but he rose again, showing his power over sin and over death. And so scripture says that when we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and that we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, scripture says that we will be saved, right? And so that saved is where that our spirit is born again. It's rejuvenated. There's a, there's a transformation that takes place where what was dead becomes alive. And then it, to me, that's the most important decision that you could ever make in your life. But then along with that, in making that decision, what happens afterwards is incredible. I'm not saying it's going to be easy and that all of a sudden, poof, you know, the pixie dust comes out and it it works. No, no, no. It it might be challenging, but that challenge is now given to the Lord and the Lord works through you. And so instead of us being reliant upon ourselves, we now are reliant upon the Lord instead of us trying to do it by ourselves where he now is the one that's at the front instead of us trying to do it by ourselves. And so if everybody here in the auditorium, if you'd be willing to bow your head and close your eyes, and, and if I just described you in just a moment, I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand as well. But I asked everybody to close their eyes and bow their heads because I, I don't want you to feel embarrassed or concerned about what other people might think. This is between you and God, and, but you know that I was talking to you right there in that moment where you know that your life is not right and you need to bring it before the Lord and have him do something amazing and put your faith in Jesus. And so if you're here, if you could just go ahead and slip your hand up. Where are you at? Go ahead and put it up. Don't be ashamed. Nobody's looking around. Just go ahead and slip it up. Yeah, thank you so much. It's a big deal. It's significant. This is the most important thing. And so I'm going to pray and I want you just to pray along with me. And then I'm going to pray and all of us are going to believe together for miracles. And so if you raise your hand and you need to make a commitment to Jesus, just pray something like, Jesus, I know I need you. Jesus, come into my life and change me. Restore me. I'm so sorry for the things that I've done, but right now I put my faith and trust in you. I want to follow you. I want to have a fresh start and a new beginning. And I can't do it by myself. So Jesus, would you be Lord over my life? And Father, for so many of us that put our hands up, God, we have significant needs, and you are fully, fully aware of what they are. And so, Lord, right now we speak to those. We speak to that in in believing and having faith. Lord, we reach for our shovel and know that that we're going to take steps forward. But God, right now we speak to healing and restoration. 
where there is sickness and disease, that that would be eradicated and removed. There would, there would be signs and wonders and miracles take place. Lord, as we sow, as we give, as we give financially, as we put our tithe towards you and give it back to you, Lord, that you would show up in an amazing way and that you would provide in the way that you've promised, Lord, for our personal lives, for our kids, for our family, for our businesses. Lord, as we give back to you, that you would just restore back to us out of worship, God. And Lord, in, in the areas where we need wisdom and guidance and leadership, Lord, we have a need. It's so significant. We're not sure what to do. We need your direction. We need your advice. Lord, for our kids and our grandkids, the relationships, would you restore those, Lord? I pray for our dads, our dads here in the auditorium, Lord, our dads that aren't here, Lord, the dads that we don't have relationship with, God, we honor them. We bless them. We speak life and encouragement. Lord, I thank you so much that you are perfect in every way, and we honor you and we bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you stand to your feet as we close this morning and just declare who deserves all of our praise, that hallelujah, he's the one that's